test. I'm here drinking coffee and talking to my wife, Emily. Uh, describe your wife. About five, seven. <laughs> uh, no, but... Uh, light, <laughs> I was hoping you'd say... Light blonde hair. Some other <laughs> <laughs> about me that you like. <laughs> <laughs> Where's glasses? <laughs> I crack myself up, and I think we crack each other up, but will this be interesting to other people? That is the question. <laughs> the answer is no. Welcome back to the Warm Lasagna Podcast, the podcast about comfort food and community. I'm your host, Emily Lupsor. All right, everybody, it has been a wild ride. We are nearing the end of 2020. Can you believe it? I can't believe that we are over 20 episodes into this podcast. What an incredible journey this has been. Many, many thanks to each and every one of you who have supported me all along for listening, for spreading the word, for coming to guest sharing about your family traditions and your favorite foods on this podcast. It has been so, so much fun for me personally, and I cannot wait to see where the new year will bring us. We have seen a lot of challenges on this podcast, and you all have stuck with me as I learned how to plug in the microphone, how to edit my audio, how to put those fancy little transitions in the podcast, which I know you love and enjoy. Thank you so much to each and every one of you in all of the ways that you've contributed to making this show what it is. The person that I would like to thank the most is actually our guest, on this week's episode. And that is my husband, Robert. We ended up getting married just about six months ago. I would say I think we agreed that it's been a pretty good uh, first six months. I think we're in it for at least another six months, everybody. Um, The thing that I've really loved is getting to know Robert on a deeper and deeper level. With each year that we've been together, I do feel like I get to know parts of him. I get to hear about parts of him that I didn't know about previously. This episode, we actually talked about some of those and what it has meant for Robert to grow up in the South. As you know, you've already met his mom and dad, Leanne and Kelly. Leanne, who taught us about chicken and gravy, and Kelly taught us about chow chow. And Robert talks in this episode about not wanting to get above his raising and about kind of the code switch situation that goes on for him as somebody who's grown up in the South, but who is also very politically progressive. Um, But I'm going to let him get into that because he explains it a lot more eloquently than I can. Robert is a person I've shared a lot of meals with. Some of the fanciest meals that we've ever had we've had together at some very fine restaurants in but some of my favorite moments are actually just sitting at our kitchen table together, sipping on cup after cup after cup of very strong coffee. (laughs) Because that's how we like it with a splash of heavy whipping cream. Um, So without further ado, here is a pot of coffee with Robert. There was also the great southern Southern artery clogging foods that I love so much. Some of which we have for breakfast today. Yeah, bacon. Uh, eggs cooked with bacon grease and bacon <laughs> grease in the grits. So. Yeah. 
the grits even were a little fancy compared to the cornmeal based breakfast my grandpa cooked which was mush not honorable liver mush. mention oh okay or liver mush or no this was just mush it was like a cornmeal based it was kind of like grits but smoother or like less grainy kind of more almost more whisk um don't know exactly how to describe it but it's he was the only person i knew who made it but it was called mush very similar to grits but yeah i love all those breakfast foods i i mean i love fried chicken i love country style steak which was stuff i grew up on these are all nostalgic i don't eat much of these things like now but i I do love those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the things I really crave. But, but I a lot of times I eat a lot of salads and a lot of like jokingly green smoothies. We've joked about and joked about my parents like veggies and kale and yeah. People joke about and people give me a hard time for eating salads so much. You know, people, mainly your dad. Yeah, well, <laughs> but my dad. My dad's got the best jokes with it. But then some of our friends even. I, I had some uh, staff or team. At, um, when I was working in homeless services that they jokingly gave me a box of Dunkin' Donuts and inside the box was like a veggie tray. And so it's really, I don't know, there's this concept of foods that are good for you and foods that are bad for you. And the more educated, quote, educated you are, the more you'll eat healthy foods. In a way, it's almost like the way we think of like politics. It's like, there are people who, you know, believe one thing and the more educated people get traditionally, the more progressive we think they would vote. Though I don't think it's actually how those things work. But I think food's kind of similar that there's a lot of like shame and judgment around a lot of the foods that I grew up on and that I really crave and that I that I love. That honestly I love in a way that I never will love a green smoothie no matter how much I drink it or how much I try to love it. I won't love that as much as, you know sausage gravy and biscuits and my mom's comfort foods i've dabbled in pure veggie smoothies which you've been known to be disgusted by (laughs) i mean once i made a smoothie that was just carrots tomatoes celery kale it was every veggie i we had in our fridge i was trying to do mostly veggies at that time, no fruits will keep a low sugar intake, but it was it was pretty disgusting to taste. But most of the time, I'll make a smoothie with a couple of cups of green, leafy green, then a banana, and that can be really the base. And then just add in other things, coconut milk or other blueberries, other types of fruits, mm-hmm. maybe a so, few carrots for good measure. Right, yeah, to add the yeah. sweetness, yeah. Yeah, you've evolved a lot as a cook, and... Sometimes I think that you say that you're not good at cooking, but you actually are good. In fact, some, one of my earliest memories of you in our relationship was you making salmon steak. And that is certainly one of my favorite meals is a seared salmon on just searing it in a skillet on the stove and then a side salad and a roasted sweet potato. And my parents taught me that. They, my parents are really great chefs. They cook the spectrum of foods from the classic Southern fare to they've even dabbled in making Thai food. And I feel like they're very culinarily they adventurous. Yeah, they really are amazing yeah. in the kitchen. And everything they cook tastes great, in my opinion. But They have a, a rhythm of working together, too, a spirit of 
companionship and camaraderie in the kitchen too, which I think we're still working toward. But I think we've made a lot of progress. We have. We have. Our our fights don't involve uh, nearly the same. They go to the same level that they used to. We would cook together. But yeah, my parents are. They're a great team in the kitchen. But yeah, so the salmon was what I cooked on one of our early dates. And uh, I love that meal, like seared salmon uh, steaks that have the bone in still. It just adds, there's certain like flavor and fattiness with the oil. It's just oil, salt, and pepper. It's like the skin gets crispy and fatty on the ends of the, the steak. It's so good. I love that too. It's, it's delicious. Oh, man. That's that's my most comfortable thing to cook or searing another type of meat on the stovetop and doing a side salad or a vegetable. But I'll do steak. I've done pork chops on the stovetop. Matt, I think, mentioned those in his podcast. I was honored that he liked those so much. I've, I've made uh, paella, which is a Spanish dish, and it, like, kind of almost like a Spanish jambalaya. And I had tried that or gotten to eat it whenever touring with Nikki's band and we played in Spain and they would have these amazing, just such amazing food and got to cook that for our parents one time. That was a lot of fun to cook, but it doesn't feel as natural. The thing I like about searing something on the stovetop is it's just easy. It's quick. doesn't take a lot of planning. I also think a lot about breakfast, breakfast and specifically coffee. We joke a lot about how you have introduced me to things, reintroduced me to things which I claim to dislike. Number one being Brussels sprouts, which I adore. (laughs) Number two being cold brew or iced coffee. Yeah, uh, coffee is my favorite, probably my favorite way to start the day, my favorite way to relax. And just there's something about the warmth of a cup of coffee and the, the taste of it that just feels so grounding and it's just the ritual of it that I love all of it the smell and it's probably my favorite way to like hang out and talk with people you my buddy Steven uh, Matt there are all these people that a lot of times our friendship has been you know a lot of different things a lot of ways of connecting but one of the ways of connecting is to talk over coffee and you and I've gotten to do that a lot I grew up my mom it seems like I've been drinking coffee since I was a kid, probably before it was ever appropriate to. And I feel like my mom started letting me have some coffee when I was probably, maybe I was four or five. And it was mostly, but it was mostly cream and sugar and, and then a little coffee in it. And then as I got older, I would drink it with a little more coffee. And then eventually I started drinking just coffee and cream or just drinking coffee black and no sugar. But coffee is a huge part of my family's life, too. So I think of that with my mom and dad and just just loving loving all aspects of it. And I, in college, I used to make it for my friends a lot. The, my roommates, Stephen and Andrew, and a lot of our friends who would come to our apartment and hang out. I'd put on a pot of coffee and fix it for people, and we'd just hang out and talk. And, you know, those were great memories with that. Watch Simpsons or just talk about life, politics, whatever. I don't know if it was actually that good, but it was it was probably okay. <laughs> I can't even remember what kind of coffee we would buy, whatever was cheapest, and it was just standard Mr. Coffee glass pot, probably. But we've maybe upgraded our coffee with what you and I have, which is this 
like thermal caref. thermal caref. Yeah, that's is that how it's pronounced? Caref. You taught me about the French press. Um, in fact, you actually gifted me a French press. I think the first Christmas that we were together. Well, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. See, that would be another thing in the kind of bougie category. It's kind of you get beyond your. Mr. Coffee, Pot, and Dunkin' Donuts blend, and then you start putting Dunkin' Donuts blend in the French press. And and I feel like this is common for people to think of it like being, oh, my taste is so much more advanced, so much more cultured now, whenever that's not really the case. You know, it's just food is about enjoyment and connection and community like you talk about on your podcast. And that can be had across all types of food. And I think there is a lot of, like, judgment and even shame around some of the more basic joys. Like, you know, sometimes it's viewed as, like, not as cool to get a cup of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts as to get it from not just coffee or something where it's, like, more this uh, experience of, like, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. I think it's just nice to be able to just embrace, and I try to, I struggle with this, but to embrace the things you like without shame, you know, mm. especially if they're things that are genuinely not harmful to people. Now, things that are harmful to your health, like some of the pure bacon grease, I mean, you, you want to cut back on some of those things. But, Eating bacon for every yeah, meal. Yeah, Maybe that's, that's not that's dangerous, but, <laughs> but there is a certain love and there are reasons why those, those foods exist and have been part of cultures and often cultures without access to money. And, you know, it's... And so then I think it's a shame the way the judgment gets placed on some of the simpler foods and the, the foods that are a like core sustenance for people, like across societies even. But but as you people tend to often look down on those things as they develop other taste. It becomes almost like a class thing of oh, yeah. saying like, Oh, I'm too good to have a coffee from Starbucks or Dunkin'. Even yeah. though, like, loads of people do that every oh, yeah. day. And then you have to have all the buzzwords around it, like, oh, well, you know, this has to be, you know, made by farmers that haven't been exploited by. But then we don't even really know if that's happening. It's just marketing around it. And sometimes we're not sure what's actually behind any corporation or any company that's selling us something, even things that are marketed as just... Like, how do we exist in this world where we don't know what goes on behind the scenes at a lot of corporations and there is this pressure to buy and to um, consume? I don't have any any great thoughts or any, any significant advice, but I it does seem to make a big difference to support local companies. I mean, you can see the companies that are living and dying right now in our city and across communities throughout the, the country. It's, it's just a sense of, there's often a sense of like getting above your raising that like you're, you know, you're changing than how your roots were or you're acting better than, than acting snobbish or superior to, to how you were brought up. And I think food's an interesting thing around that. Like we talked about earlier about how much shade and judgment people throw on some types of food that are, are, deemed not healthy or not not cool uh, and and not organic not you know not non-gmo not whatever whatever labels we put around it and and a lot of times that's tied directly into people who have access to those supposedly higher quality foods or people with money 
And, and so then it really is like a type of judgment on people who are poor or people who don't have access to those resources or those privileges at that moment in time. We were talking about coffee and even the ways... As, as I've, I've grown up, I, I kind of have tried to minimize my Southern accent. And something coming out of these podcasts that you've done with my parents is they talk a lot of times about feeling embarrassed by their Southern accents. Mm. Though everyone who hears them talk just talks about how lovely they sound, how, how loving they sound, and just what great people they are, which they are. And then it makes me think about the word coffee, which I grew up not drinking coffee, but drinking coffee. And my mom and I joke about this a lot because I'll say, yeah, I'll have a cup of coffee or, and, you know, I'll have another cup of coffee. And my mom will be like, you'll have what? And jokingly, you know, you mean coffee? And so it's, it's this way of I've tried to minimize in some respects my, my southern root, my roots, my southern accent. And my, my mom and dad have choked around with me about that. So I think coffee is one of those words that maybe it's not a pot of coffee for this episode, but a pot of coffee. Mm. I might not even be doing the word justice. I, I love that. It makes me sad, too, that your parents both have said on separate occasions that they were nervous to listen back and that they were surprised at how Southern they sound. I feel the same way. I would never want them to... to feel embarrassed. They, they're two of the greatest people. They're known for being great people. That's what everyone who knows them talks about. Kelly and Leanne, the best people ever. Your mom's an angel. Your dad's the greatest guy. But there is this deep Southern shame, you know, this deep shame from being from the South. The South, you know, with, with a lot of uh, horrible, scary, violent history. And, and I think in a way the South has been scapegoated in the country too. And a lot of times it's easy to say all oh, the problems of racism, the problems of injustice, those are things of the South, but they aren't really of the South. I mean, they, you know, the South's history is the most visible in those areas. And, and, but it's, it's across the country. It's, it's, it's all across the U S uh, you know, in all parts of the country, the, the discrimination, the racism. But I think, I think that all of that shame, ties into shame around Southern accents too. And this, and then it becomes reverse pride where people kind of turn that shame into, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of my Southern heritage and then turn it into a thing that's really uh, misused and very harmful. But even that seems to be in a lot of ways grounded in shame. Mm. Like Southerners have been made to feel ashamed for a lot of things. Um, and there is a lot of blame that still occurs. I mean, we hear this all the time. If you listen to like political podcasts and things like that, especially around the time of the election, we're hearing a lot of people's like surprise about Southern states voting blue. Um, uh -huh. But Southerners are historically like, how would you characterize? I mean, there are there are easy answers. I mean, the the horrible history of of the South. Slavery, racism, that's all very real. I mean, the South has been a very violent place, you, you know, um, uh, for, for black Americans. It's been a, you know, it's, it is a 
it was and, and in many ways still is a scary place. But I think that is across the country. I mean, you know, if you look at Minneapolis, <laughs> you look at any many, if not all cities, major cities in the U.S., parts of the country. Um, I think the South is sometimes bears the brunt of the the judgment for a lot of the the nation's failings and just sins, but it's it's not limited to the South. And I, I think about even somebody like Trump. I mean, he's a product of New York. I think about Reaganism. That's a product of California. And and you and, and then you think of like a, a progressive uh, a progressive Democrat Jimmy Carter or something like that. I mean, that's a Southerner. Uh, Bill Clinton's history is very complicated too. I'm not really a Bill Clinton, uh, big Clinton defender, but it's it's not as simple as the narrative that it's often painted as in the media or in standard political conversations. And I think it's it tends to be more of a struggle between cities and rural areas too, and and that kind of gets lost. Um, so. I, I just think these problems aren't aren't limited or just localized in the South, even though they may be more visible and have have been more visible in the South. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, my family is from up north, as we've discussed over and over again with yeah, our yeah. families. <laughs> but I think too, like one of the most beautiful things that we get to see in the South that Northerners are not privy to is just how many people of color, specifically women of color, who are who serve in like really big positions of power, politically speaking. Absolutely. And, and the way it gets talked about a lot of times is that, you know, these, these are hugely historic moments for the South when that happens. Though there are many cities in the country outside of the South that have not had adequate black representation, adequate representation from people of color or women or the LGBTQ community. And so... I think it's a shame whenever it just focuses on the South because it loses the real work that needs to be done across the country. Right, right. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. And I love, that's one thing I love about our relationship and our close friends is we get to dig into some of these things. We're lucky to have a community of people where a lot of times we can talk about some of these things with. I value that in our, in our marriage and but it's interesting because it does kind of even the shame around going back to the word coffee or southern accents. I mean, even that that shame is, I think, in some ways rooted in a sense of being inadequate if you're from the South. Mm. It's, I don't know if this is OK for me to bring up, but as you and I have, the longer our relationship goes on, the more glimpses of your southern accent pop out it's almost like you can relax slightly more with each year that we yeah that, in relation that's true eventually i'll be talking just like normal i don't know i can't, I can't even do it because i can't even feign you know we're all of a sudden like a who even knows what accent that was but yeah I, I can't even i can't even impersonate what my true accent is because i would have to be totally guard down and i wouldn't even realize it because i've been training myself for so long to not speak with a southern accent this year i heard parking lot parking lot yeah for the first time <laughs> well it's so interesting actually being from the north too like 
It's so funny because I have the opposite perspective. Whereas like when I first started in the field of social work or, you know, working jobs to support other folks, I felt almost like I had to put on a little bit of a Southern accent to make people feel comfortable enough to trust me. And that's like a thing I don't think I've ever admitted, but that's like a legit thing that goes on. If you speak differently from people, they're not going to feel comfortable around you. There's a lot of truth to that. It's just figuring out the right way we present ourselves in public or in certain situations or contexts. And yeah, that's, I think that's a great example of how, how, where you're doing work and who you're getting to work with, uh, adjusting, adjusting your accent accordingly. Mm -hmm. And after a while it becomes like, so you're not even like aware that you're doing it It just kind of comes out around certain types of people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel kind of embarrassed about that actually now that I say that. But but this is what people do. I mean, every everyone has to to do this, and for us, it's it's you know it's coming from privilege almost of like we're we're able to you know we're trying to adjust our accents, and but that's a pretty minimal thing compared to kind of the code switching or some that a person of color has to do, you know, in any given situation just to navigate it or to to survive. To yeah, yeah, I think. You're right. It is something that people just do. Yeah, I think I think it's just what I think it's what humans have to do, honestly. And uh, because in some ways people are very judgmental and people are very people aren't always just accepting and loving. And it is kind of like learning how to to present yourself to have chances and to have opportunities and to and to for to get respect that every human deserves. We shouldn't have to work for that, but we do. Mm. Every human deserves respect and dignity, but we shouldn't have to work for that, but we do. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's hard to find compassion for people and, and for, and, and with your podcast, you've kind of, you've heard how people feel shame about even their accents or, you know, how, how nervous people are like to come on your show and you're giving this great platform to people that, and, and I, I've never gotten to be on a, I, well, I've been on one podcast for Housing Fest, but I've not gotten to be talking at length about myself. You've given people and me this chance to, to share our perspective on these things. And it's really cool, but everyone has a really great story in them. And, but because of how society works, a lot of times we feel ashamed of who we are and inadequate and, and afraid to share who we are with other people or the world. And so just for people to find love for themselves, to be able to share their story and your podcast is a great way of getting to do that. Oh, you're saving the compliment for the, the very end there. That was very sweet. But thank yeah, you. Yeah. No, I love you. I love you. I'll see you in the kitchen. <laughs> I'll continue to see you after we turn the recording off. Yeah, I'll see you. Uh, stepping away from the table. People aren't always accepting and loving. It's about learning how to present yourself to have chances and opportunities to get the respect every human deserves. We shouldn't have to work for this, but we do. This week, reflect on the ways in which you might lift the burden for somebody else. 
the ways that you might extend respect and love and compassion to the people in your own life, and what that means for you as we begin a new year. We welcome 2021 with open arms. Thank you all so much for listening. Please feel free to email us at warmlasagnapodcast at gmail.com if you would like to share your story about comfort food and community in the coming year. I hope you all have a wonderful week and happy new year.